0: This episode has mentions of infant loss, termination by choice, and traumatic miscarriage. If you find any of these triggering, please consider skipping this episode. Listener discretion is advised. You're 20 weeks pregnant and the unthinkable happens. You go for a routine ultrasound and to find out the results of the genetic testing you had done a few weeks ago. What should be a happy time ends up being a day where your entire world comes crashing down around you. The doctor tells you the tests show your unborn baby has trisomy 18, otherwise known as Edwards syndrome. It's a genetic condition that causes delays in fetal growth development and life expectancy for children diagnosed with it is very short due to several life-threatening complications, including congenital heart and kidney disease, respiratory tract failure, and scoliosis. Children who do survive their first year with it normally have severe intellectual challenges and are often treated with comfort care. With an extremely grim prognosis, what choice would you make? That's the agonizing decision Chelsea Pice and her husband had to make when they found out their unborn daughter had trisomy 18. In today's episode, I talk with Chelsea about her journey to motherhood, what went through her mind after her daughter's diagnosis, how she deals with people who may not understand her decision, and how she's still struggling with secondary infertility today. We're also talking about how she turned her pain into passion by starting TTC Mama Company and her mission to help others through one of life's most difficult decisions. Before we dive in, let me do a quick introduction in case you're new here. I'm Charlie Dice. I'm a child-free, not-by-choice millennial who struggled with infertility for eight years. Our journey included three miscarriages, DNCs, failed fertility treatments, and ultimately the devastating decision that traditional parenthood just wasn't meant for us. After coming to that conclusion, my husband and I felt even more lost, isolated, and depressed than we did while we were trying to conceive. All the people who were with us throughout our journey to have a baby disappeared. Fertility clinics stopped checking in. People I'd met in online groups stopped messaging. We felt like we were on an island all by ourselves with no hope of rescue. I did my own research, of course, but found very little out there for people who were either trying to decide if ending their journey was right for them, or had made that decision and were asking themselves like I was, now what? Facing fertility had been our entire lives and had become an obsession for almost the last decade. How did we just turn those feelings off and move forward? What was our purpose in life now? What did the future look like as a family of two? Finding almost no information or support, I decided I'd figure it out myself. I worked for a year and a half, reading, writing down my feelings, posting on social media to share my story and get things out into the universe, even if it meant I was the only one who'd ever read it. The result was my own healing journey, where my husband and I were able to come to terms with our new reality and actually find happiness and purpose again. Today, we're closer than we've ever been, and we're able to look back on what we went through with a lens of hope and excitement for the future, rather than being stuck in that painful past. All this to say, I've been where you are now. I know what it feels like to feel hopeless, abandoned, and angry at the world. This podcast is a way for me to hopefully bring awareness to those of us out there who didn't get to be a member of the Earthside Mom Club, but who still want, and frankly deserve, a life where we're not just surviving, but thriving. A life beyond infertility. Welcome to the Life Beyond Infertility Podcast, the show where we talk about what happens when building a family doesn't go as planned and how to find happiness anyway. My name is Charlie Dice, and my mission is to help women struggling with fertility feel empowered and supported in their life choices and help them find peace no matter where they're at in their journey. As someone who struggled with infertility for 8 years, which included 3 miscarriages, failed fertility treatments, and the only one in our immediate families who doesn't have kids, I know what it's like to feel left out, ashamed, and silenced. This podcast is a passion project for me. I hope you enjoy, and if it helps you in any way, please consider leaving a rating and a review. It means the world to me to have your support. And, if you're looking for a fast track into healing your fertility grief and learning how to embrace a life that's still fulfilling check out my website, www.charleydice.com. Here you'll find information on my signature one-on-one coaching program, as well as lots of free stuff to get you started. Now let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Life Beyond Infertility podcast. I am excited. Today, I have a special guest, Chelsea Pies, and she is the founder of TTC Mama Company. We're going to drop all her links and everything in the episode show notes so that you can connect with her, but... Her and I got a chance to talk a little bit earlier, a few weeks ago, and I just knew that she would be a great guest on the podcast and she has an amazing story to tell and I'm excited for you all to hear it. So welcome Chelsea to the the Life Beyond Infertility podcast. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for the kind
0: words. This is my first ever podcast, so I'm super,
1: super excited and also maybe a little
0: nervous. (laughs) No, no, it's don't be nervous. It's all good. So let's just start off kind of. I know you and I had talked a few weeks ago, but just so the listeners get an idea, what is your story as far as infertility goes?
1: Yeah. So, you know, our journey kind of started back in 2018, right after my husband and I got married, and we got pregnant right after our wedding. And I honestly didn't even really think about infertility even being an option or miscarriage. It was just something I never heard about. And at, like 10 weeks roughly, we miscarried that baby. Um, and that was kind of my first really hit with that. Then, after that, it took us a good nine to ten months before we ever saw another positive pregnancy test. When we did finally get pregnant again, it was with my son, who thankfully is now Earthside and just turned three. And I feel like that kind of jaded me a little bit. Because I was back to that place of, oh, well, it was just one thing and it's not going to happen to me again. So fast forward two more years and we got pregnant again, what I thought was fairly easy. It took maybe four months that time and everything seemed fine until we got to our genetic testing. And then we learned that our daughter had trisomy 18, which is a fatal chromosome um, abnormality. So then we were kind of hit with this decision of, you know, do we try to go full term and probably lose a full term baby or do we terminate that pregnancy at 22 weeks? Uh, Ultimately, we decided that it would be less traumatic to terminate at 22 weeks. So two days after Christmas last year, we went into the hospital, and I was induced. We had our daughter, Berkeley. She lived for roughly like five minutes and then passed. That was kind of my first really big experience with, okay, this isn't going to be easy, and infertility is a really big thing. After that, this last year, I got pregnant again in April, and it was a chemical pregnancy. And then I got pregnant again in July, and we lost that baby at nine weeks. So, you know, I'm thankful that we have our son, but it was really kind of a slap in the face of just that it's not easy to get pregnant and stay pregnant, which is a hard pill to swallow.
0: I want to thank you for sharing that story with the listeners, because there's so much going on in there. And I'm so sorry that you had to experience all of that. I had three miscarriages, but I luckily never had to make the decision that you did to terminate a pregnancy. And I can't even imagine like what that must've felt like and and how you make a decision like that. You're very, very brave to share your story. And I just want to thank you for that and, and validate. You're definitely helping people by doing that. In terms of You talked about just not knowing that infertility or miscarriage was a thing. I mean, I know when I was going through school and, you know, health ed and sex ed and all that, it was never told to us that there was anything out there other than either abstinence or just protection, don't have sex, don't get pregnant. It's going to be the end of your life as you know it. Was that your experience? I was never told by anybody, even my, my mother that infertility could happen, miscarriage could happen, and kind of how to cope with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm exactly the same as you. I was never, never told any of that. It was, it was almost like I always just use kind of like the mean girl reference of you're gonna, if you have sex, you're gonna get pregnant, and you're gonna die type thing, or don't have sex and Mm -hmm. nobody so my whole first part of my life I was terrified of getting pregnant and I was on birth control and trying to do all the things and then when I wanted to get pregnant it was like okay why isn't this happening right away I didn't know that miscarriage was really a thing I mean I had heard about people losing babies but I guess I always like thought it was later and that something happened. It was a car accident or something like that. I didn't know that there was any other abnormalities besides Down syndrome, which I think Mm -hmm. people need to talk about more. So it was, it's very, it's just so not talked about that, you know, nobody's ever going to know about it unless we start doing what we're doing now and talk about it.
0: Yeah. And I'm just curious, like, how long were you on birth control before you came off?
1: Oh, gosh. I was on, I think I started birth control the first time at like 15. It was right when I went to high school. And I stayed on it until probably 24 or 25. So 10 years straight almost of birth control. It's hard for me not to wonder if that's part of the reason that. I mean, just our generation in general has all of these infertility issues or miscarriage issues because we were all pushed on birth control so hard.
0: I was also on for 10 years straight before we decided to try and... I mean, the research is showing now that there definitely is a correlation between the amount of time that a woman is on birth control, the age that she starts birth control, and her fertility. And so I definitely don't think that it's a coincidence. And yeah, I think our generation was the first to see those effects now of that chronic birth control use. Is that something when you went in for, did you do genetic testing then after you had lost your daughter to find out if that was a possibility for future pregnancies? So
1: we didn't do it right after we lost our daughter. I didn't do it until we had those second losses after. And even that kind of irritated me because everybody was kind of, even on the internet, it was like, well, it just happened one time. So it's probably not anything. It was probably a freak accident. Like I felt kind of really dismissed. So until I had those other two losses after her, they, then they were like, okay, yeah, maybe we should do some blood work. And I'm like, we shouldn't have done it after the first one. We're still waiting for my husband's results. Thankfully mine came back normal, but it's still kind of, you know, those take a really long time for them to get back to you. So it's kind of still up in the air. But I think the most frustrating part too, is they told me they were like, a lot of people's come back completely normal and they still can't have a healthy baby or a baby.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And have you talked about with your husband or do you want to try to pursue other treatments? Are you even thinking about that at this point? Or is that still just kind of, you're just waiting on those genetic tests to come back and kind of see what you want to do about that first?
1: Yeah, we're waiting and seeing. We also kind of gave ourselves like a deadline of the end of the year. We said if we're not pregnant by the end of the year, or if we get pregnant and lose a baby again, or anything like that, then we'd probably start looking into IUI. I try to do a lot of natural things to help my fertility. I um do a lot of juicing, I do some seed cycling, and then I take a lot of supplements which definitely have helped regulate my cycle, but obviously there's only so much you can do once the embryo is created. I think that IUI would definitely probably be our next step. We don't really have all the funds to do IVF a million times like you see some people do. I think the closer we get to IVF, the more at peace that I start to have to become with that maybe I'm only going to have one kid, yeah. at least one, at least one living child. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind
0: of giving myself till the end of the year and then I'll kind of reevaluate. I think that makes total sense. And yeah, I mean, I didn't, hope the question didn't come off as if like you have to pursue these other options. I want to put that out there to people, or at least I try to in my content, that if that's not something that you feel called to do or that you don't have the means to do, then you couldn't do it. You should trust yourself and talk to your partner about what you're okay with and what you're not okay with in terms of pursuing this quote-unquote traditional family. I want to go back to one thing you said though in your story where you said you felt dismissed by the doctors especially after you had lost your daughter. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about that because I think that's something that Women, in general, we don't advocate enough for ourselves and our bodies, particularly when it comes to our fertilities. Can you just kind of elaborate on on what you mean when you said you you felt dismissed?
1: Yeah, like I said, I didn't even know that there were any other chromosome abnormalities other than Down syndrome until that happened. And so then, once we did decide to terminate, they were kind of just like okay, well, you know, it happens like one in every 5,000. So it's probably not ever going to happen to you again. It was just some weird thing. And I just believed them. I was like, okay, so we're good. What, you know, this was, she just wasn't ready and we'll get pregnant again and it'll be fine. Then I had a chemical pregnancy and it was almost like the same thing. The doctors were like, you know, chemical pregnancies happen all the time. Most people don't even know that they had one. Like It's not a big deal. And so I believed them again. And then we got to the third pregnancy and the first ultrasound, they couldn't find a heartbeat yet. And it was early, but I like already knew. And they kind of still did the same thing. Like it's, everything's going to be fine. We went to the next ultrasound and I could just tell by the way the tech was acting. At that point was really when I kind of said to them, Hey, I know that I'm going to lose this baby. It's very apparent. You don't need to try to sugarcoat it for me. Mm
0: -hmm. And I want
1: to start figuring out why this is happening and what we can do to hopefully prevent it, if anything. I think that was kind of the first time that they were like, okay, yeah, we can do stuff. Sometimes I don't want to say this about all doctors, but sometimes I feel like it's too much. They feel like it's too much work for not enough reward. And so they're just kind of like, no, it's fine. I kind of really had to speak up about wanting blood work done. And even just recently, I did an HSG test, which for anybody that doesn't know what that is, it's where they check to make sure you don't have blockages in your fallopian tubes. I even had to kind of push for that. When I first asked, they were like, well, you're getting pregnant, so you don't need to do that. And I'm okay, yeah, I'm getting pregnant, but not with a healthy embryo. I just felt like until I kind of almost got a little bit mean for lack of a better better word that they didn't even really listen.
0: Mhm. Yeah, and I think the fact that we have to wait or try for at least a year naturally before they even contemplate or even want to talk to you about maybe you're infertile. Depending on when you start trying, that year could be really the only time that you have to try if you're getting older or have some sort of medical issue that pops up. I've talked to a lot of women that that time that they kind of got pushed off by their providers. And again, I'm not saying, and I don't want to come off as saying that all providers are doing this or that don't care enough about their patients to look outside the box. But yeah, I think a lot of us have missed our window of opportunity because of the medical community kind of, Oh, well, yeah, we'll do that later. Or you're not quite to the point where we want to try this yet, or, you know, and, and not wanting to give us the tests that we want to have or procedures that we want done to see maybe there is something wrong with your fallopian tube, even though you are being, are able to get pregnant. What would you say to women out there who in that same situation where they are feeling pushed off by their their medical provider?
1: Honestly, I would say to tell your medical provider that these tests are really important to you and you understand that maybe it hasn't been a year or even six months, but that you want to be proactive in your fertility journey. And there's absolutely no reason to wait to take, to have them do blood work. Or to mm-hmm. do this test, especially when most of the time you're the one paying for it, right? Like, right. I it, whether you have insurance or not, why do you care if I want to do this $500 test? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I never want to tell anybody to be mean, but I feel you almost have to get to almost that point of just really yeah. standing up for yourself and not taking no for an answer. Because at the end of the day, it's your body and it's your life and it's your fertility journey. Your doctor's just kind of the one there to, they're supposed to be the one there to guide you. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you need, sometimes you need to be the one guiding them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't know your body. I mean, they know the body in general, but yeah, I mean, you do definitely need to be your own advocate I want to kind of switch gears just a bit and talk about, because I think it is a unique, not a unique, but maybe a less talked about situation with you making the decision to terminate a pregnancy. And we're not going to get into kind of anybody's opinions about that. But what I want to ask you is how did that change your relationship with, like, were you open about that with friends and family if they asked or how did that change relationships for you?
1: At first, I wasn't open about it, mostly because I didn't want people's opinions. It's a very hot topic right now, terminating pregnancies. And to be mm-hmm. honest, before this happened to me, I always said I would never terminate a pregnancy. Who would do that? I was very, very blinded to the situations. When I lost, when we went into terminate, I just texted everybody or called people and said, you know, we lost the baby. I'm fine, but she's not going to make it. I just was very, just, I don't know, bear with my response. And if people asked me what happened, my friends and family, then I would tell them. But it really took me until probably like the last six months to be really open about the fact that, yes, I terminated and I terminated for medical reasons. We really had to look at every option. Because there's a chance of babies that have trisomy 18 to live up to a year. We had to look at how's that's going to affect my son's life and our life. How's that going to affect her life? You know, it's no quality of life. Having all those feeding tubes and all these surgeries for maybe 365 days of living. I don't want to say that I was ashamed of my decision because I wasn't. I knew that that was the right decision. But I think I was scared of other people being ashamed of me when they don't understand why we had to do what we had to do.
0: And when you did talk to people about it and when you did start sharing your story, were people, like, what kind of, what was the response? Was it mostly positive or?
1: Yeah, um, it was mostly positive. I could kind of see on some people's faces, not disappointment, but just like not understanding. And especially my mother in law, she was, she kept kind of being like, well, what if it, what if they had been wrong? What if this, what if that? We can't live in the what ifs. I definitely did lose some friendships. And I don't want to say that it's because of my decision to terminate, but I think it was definitely kind of around just the loss. And then all of a sudden, They had pity for me because of what I was going through. But if anybody did judge me for that, they weren't openly rude about it. You know, at the end of the day, I think everybody knew that we really wanted that baby and loved her and that we didn't want to do that, but that was the best decision.
0: Yeah. I mean, good for you guys for just kind of being each other's rock with that and being steadfast in what you knew was the right decision for you. I think that's why a lot of us don't talk about any of our infertility struggles or miscarriages, because we don't want those opinions. We don't want the pity. We pity ourselves enough. You ultimately know what's right for you and your situation. And it's really nobody else's business. It's great to hear strong. Yes, this is what I knew was the right decision. I think we need to give ourselves more credit that we do know what's right for us in our, in our fertility journeys. One of the things I'm curious about too, and I know you and I talked about it when we talked before, you said you lost some friendships over this and it was more centered around the loss as opposed to like the kind of loss you had, but I'm assuming they were, they were women friendships, like girlfriends or can you kind of talk about? Why you think that that happened?
1: One of them, we got pregnant together, right? So we were going through that pregnancy journey together. Then when I was no longer going through that journey, it wasn't instant, and wasn't like I lost the baby and they just dropped me. But it it was very kind of apparent that over the next couple of months that she didn't text me as much. Or we were the type of friends that we like Snapchat each other. Every day, all day about nothing. And that slowly got less and less and less. I thought maybe they were, she was just busy, right? She was pregnant. She just had a baby. But then when I got pregnant again in July, all of a sudden she was back and Snapchatting me again and talking to me and inviting me to things. And then when I lost that baby, it was right back to kind of like drifting away. And I'm like, okay. So it's very apparent that we're only friends when we're in the same. Exact stage of life. Then I had another friend who, it seemed like, we weren't in the same pregnancy stage. But she had baby fever, but knew that she was done having kids, and so she was excited to be able to be around that baby. And then when there wasn't a baby to be around, I almost felt like, well, then I don't need to be around, right? Because my son mm-hmm. was already a toddler. So not that he's not fun, but he's not the cute little cuddly baby anymore. I don't want to say that either of these people think that consider themselves not my friend but it's very it was very apparent that I was no longer giving them the friendship that they actually kind of wanted just because I was no longer having a baby
0: and how did you handle that? Did you let it run its natural course and, and stay above the fray, so to speak, and you just drifted apart or, you know, how did you handle, because I think a lot of women struggle with that, with being at a different place in their lives than they were when they had these tight friendships and then that changes and they're not sure how to handle kind of that shift.
1: Yeah. I still talk to both of these people, not, not on a regular basis, but. I don't think I'd ever just shut them off because I still care about them and their well-being. But I kind of just came to the place of if I'm not going to have a friend that's there for me 100% of the time, no matter what, then maybe I don't really want that friend in my life. Mm. I'm lucky that I do have friends that have supported me through this no matter what. But it And it took a long time. My feelings were really hurt for a long time when I was constantly complaining to my husband I'm sure he got annoyed with it but it's hard it's hard to understand and it's hard to kind of swallow that pill when you just lost a baby and you're grieving that and then all of a sudden you're grieving these people that you thought were supposed to be there for you and they're not so I had to get to the place of that if they wanted to be here they would and that my life is probably better without them right here this is probably the universe's way of saying that friendship has ran its course and it's not, it's time to move on to other people, better things. Um, Yeah. I wish that I had the more like concise answer of how I coped with it, but I kind of grieved and then I bottled it up and then I got angry. And then I came to the place of like acceptance.
0: Mm -hmm. I do love though, how you weren't, disrespectful or mean about it. I mean, obviously if the situation called for it, I guess you can go that route, but it's good to hear that you are still friends with these people. It's just a different type of friendship. And so I think that's, that's really important for a lot of women to know is like, you don't have to completely burn that bridge. You have to set healthy boundaries and protect yourself with whatever that looks like for you. I definitely think that that's a way of coping is just setting those healthy boundaries And kind of along those same lines, do you have any tips that really helped you for healing from the type of losses that you went through? I mean, obviously it's something that you never quote unquote get over, but is there anything you want to share with the listeners that really helped you to kind of process what had happened to you and and kind of move forward from it?
1: Yeah, I think I... A lot of it was really just kind of starting to share. I shared a lot on TikTok at first, and then it kind of just moved into Instagram. At least for me, my coping process was I looked everywhere to find somebody that go- went through the same thing I was going through, and I couldn't. Not not really. I found like maybe two accounts on TikTok. So that was hard to not to not see that. And so I really wanted people... If they had to go through what I went through to be able to find those sort of things. I also did a lot of kind of self-care things that I didn't normally do for myself. I took a lot of baths. I had my husband keep our son or put him to bed. I made time for myself for that. I also went and got a spray tan, which I, they're kind of expensive and they don't last long. I don't do those often. I tried to do small things that made me happy because I kind of thought that if I did enough small things that made me happy that they would build into big enough so that I'd kind of be happy I and like you said it's something that you, you never get over I think a good thing too for people to do is to really honor their babies they lost we still have our ultrasounds up on our fridge then I got a little frame and put the umbilical cord and like the ultrasound up and that sits on our wall it's always there so we can always see her and think about her and it's also a talking point to talk about her if people see it or ask I think it's important to kind of keep their memory alive because they were important and they'll always be a big part of your life
0: I'm glad you said that because I talk to a lot of women that maybe just aren't ready to share their story and aren't ready to talk about the losses that they have. And I mean, I'll be honest, even sometimes depending on where I'm at, does still choke me up to talk to people about what happened to me. But I think it's really important that you said and that women know that it really is I don't even know how to it's it's just better to get it out in the open and not pretend like it didn't happen or, you know, just shut down and completely isolate yourself. Because there are so many of us out there that do that go through this, unfortunately. Um, you will eventually find someone that can relate to you and your situations. Even you and I can't relate to having a midterm loss like you did, or having to make that screw decision. But just sharing our stories with one another, I feel like it, it does help regardless. I'm glad that you talked about self-care and how you prioritize self-care in your life, because I think that is really, really important, whether you're going through an infertility journey or not. And it's definitely not selfish, right?
1: Yeah, no, definitely not. And I think that that's a hard thing for just women as ge- in general to kind of remind ourselves about that it's not selfish to do those self-care routines and it's a necessity that's that's kind of when you start to lose yourself whether you're trying to get pregnant or not or going through a miscarriage no matter what when you kind of stop doing your skincare routine and you know stop doing things for yourself stop working out if you like doing that you start losing pieces of yourself that's how a lot of people kind of start to fall into like more depressive states it definitely happened to me postpartum and not postpartum. It's important to make time for those things.
0: Yeah, for sure. How did your experience or your journey morph into what you're doing now? PTC Mama Company?
1: Yeah, I started just posting on TikTok. And then I actually decided to make a separate Instagram account, just because I kind of wanted to keep my personal life Um, and my son's face off of the public internet. I started posting and then I realized maybe I should make a website. And it started with, well, I'll just make this website and I'm going to make some affirmation guides that are completely free. One for people that are trying to get pregnant and then one for people going through a loss. Then I realized that I had all of this information and knowledge from trying to find stuff out myself that I could really share with people through everything, through whether you're going through a pregnancy loss or trying to conceive or the two week wait. I mean, that's always a big one. One of the guides I have now is about the two week wait and it kind of just really breaks down what's happening through that process. Why maybe you wouldn't get a positive or why you should wait to test. Like I said earlier, I really started seed cycling and juicing to kind of naturally help my fertility, I want those two things aren't really talked about a whole lot. I wanted to give women an option where they don't want, maybe they're not ready to go ask for Clomid or prescription drugs, but they want to try to regulate their cycle a different way. I wanted to give them some options. And then I really wanted people to know that they're not alone in this journey and that You can come to the site and if all you want is to see affirmations to get you through the day, or if you want some form of community, like we have that here because it was really lonely going through it before I found, you know, even connecting with you or any of the pages that I have followed recently. I didn't even know any of those existed. It was just, it was a lonely journey and I don't want anybody to have to feel that loneliness I just hope that anything I put out there can kind of help with that, even if it's just content on Instagram.
0: Where can people find you or how's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, I have a support inbox set up. And then also I'm always kind of bouncing back and forth between TikTok and Instagram. I have to think of like my TikTok account is more of the funny, not so serious side of miscarriage or trying to get pregnant and then not that there's not that on instagram but instagram's kind of a lot more of the inspirational holistic type vibes to help because i feel like that covers both right i definitely cope with some dark humor so i kind of put that more over on tiktok and then i put quilt cards and reels and stuff like that just as simple reminders i just launched two weeks ago affirmation wednesdays and it's just a simple affirmation to keep those reminders in your head because I wasn't seeing those through my journey and they would have helped a lot.
0: Yeah, for sure. I want to thank you for what you're doing, just being open and providing information to others like you. I didn't really find any information out there when I was going through it. Um, and so I am thankful that now there are those of us out there who are starting to share and willing to talk you through it if it's something that you're experiencing. One question that I always ask all my guests is what is the best piece of advice that you'd give your 18 year old self and it doesn't even have to be around infertility. What would you tell that that 18 year old girl knowing right you now?
1: I would tell her to trust herself and that she knows a lot more than she thinks she does to stand up for herself when I was 18 I was kind of still like a quiet mousy girl and I and I slowly grew into not being so quiet but I just wish she had known how much like power she truly holds within herself and that like she matters and there's there's a reason she's here
0: yeah yes girl that's great <laughs> <laughs> love that thank you so much, Chelsea, for coming on the podcast today and sharing your incredible story and your insights on how you've coped and what you're doing to give back is just really, really inspirational and and I think motivating to a lot of listeners out there. So thank you so much. I'd love to have you back. There's a lot more we can unpack. Thanks for doing what you're doing.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. This was so much fun. I'd love to come back anytime. Like you said, there's definitely a lot more we could talk about, but I just
0: appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, for sure. That's it for today's episode. We'll put all of Chelsea's information in the show notes so you can reach out to her and we'll collect you on the next one.